Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to our online sermon this morning. Michael's out this week, and I just want to let you know this is planned. It's been on the calendar for about two months. He's perfectly fine, everything's good, and I get the privilege of bringing you the sermon this week. If you're tuning in as a guest, we're glad that you're joining us this morning, and we'd like to encourage you to go to our website and click on the guest form whenever you're ready so that one of our pastors can reach out and just connect with you, see how you're doing, and talk to you. Also, for those of you who have been joined online for a few weeks and you've been thinking about joining Rich Fork, we want to let you know that our membership class, Rich Fork 101, is coming up in November, and that's going to be the last time we do that class this year. So it's a great opportunity. It's on the website. You can go there. Also, for those of you who've been attending in person and maybe you're just tuning in online this week, we want to let you know we're starting a new Sunday school class, and it's specifically targeted for young married couples. So if you're in your 20s and you've been married for maybe a few months, a few years, maybe you're engaged and about to be married, we've got a new class that's starting up specifically targeted at your situation in life. I want to thank you once again for joining in. I'm going to pray before we dive into the sermon this week, so let me pray. Father, we just thank you that we get to hear from your word this morning. Dear God, I ask that you be with my words. Let them be pleasing to you. Dear God, open our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Dive in deeply with us and change us into who you want us to be. And Father, we just love you and we praise you. And thank you for everything you've blessed us with. In your name, amen. So as we dive into the passage this morning and a little bit before, I've got to make a confession. There's a lot of nervousness about the conversation we're going to have this morning as we dive into the book of James, into James chapter 2. And a big part of that is because if I'm doing what God has placed on me to do this morning and communicating to you well, it's going to put you and me at a major place of tension. Because you're going to have to dive in with yourself and really evaluate the way you think and the way you look at other people. Now let me give a couple caveats here to those of you who might be listening. If you're not a believer this message really is, is not targeted towards you. This is an expectation within Scripture that James is communicating to other believers. So understand, as you're listening to this message this morning, what you're getting is kind of a look behind the curtain of believers having conversations with ourselves about some changes we need to make in how we view other people. Now, with me even saying that, I can go ahead and tell you, like, we've got to acknowledge something up front. There are times when you have a message or you're preaching or you're having a spiritual conversation or you're teaching in a Sunday school class where you know you're addressing a topic that people are open to change about. They're okay with you talking about that because they can have a little bit of push. They already recognize it. But when we get to the idea of how we view, or in the case of the word James is going to use, that we judge other people unjustly, that's something that almost every single person wants to throw a hand up and go, no, that's not me. I don't do that at all. But I've got to tell you, that's something that we all do, and we'll dive into that here in a minute. And there's one place and story in my life I can share with you about how I was confronted on this. I was at a church conference about 10 years ago, and it was the biggest church planning conference in North America at the time. And we're sitting in a service, and it's one of the big services. There's, there's thousands and thousands of people around, and the speaker gets up, and the speakers get amazing. And then this pastor gets up, and he begins to talk. Now, right off the bat, you can pick up, this guy's not on the same rhythm everybody else is on. He's fumbling over his words. He's nervous. And then he starts giving examples that are just way out of bounds. He starts talking about the ministry his church is doing and the things they allow and where they allow non-believers to serve and people from different thoughts and lifestyles and the interactions they're having. 
And I remember sitting in the service and I'm listening to the application he's making in the ministry. And I'm like, what is this guy thinking? And then he continues to talk and his language even begins to go. He starts to use some words that most of us would be very offended to hear a pastor say from the pulpit. And I remember sitting in there and I can watch right over the stage and I can see the organizer and the MC of the event and they're sitting there beside each other and you can tell they're trying to make that decision of, do we need to pull this guy off stage? And I remember we get to the end of this and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, what is happening at this conference right now? And this pastor gets to the very, very end of the conference and he goes to make his point. And he says this, he says, the reality of it is this, most of you don't want lost people anywhere near your church. And he says that. And I really remember feeling within me, I'm going like, excuse me? Who are you to tell me that? Especially after whatever this little lesson was you just gave. You can't tell me that. And he said, because here's the thing. When people are lost, they are dealing with darkness and it makes you uncomfortable. And what you normally want to do when you're made uncomfortable by somebody is get away from them, judge them, and make yourself superior. And so he said this. He said, if you're a church and you claim to want to reach lost people, but you're not willing to be uncomfortable, then stop making that claim. And he prayed and he closed. Now, I remember walking out of there and man, my defenses were through the roof. All right. I'm like, I've been in ministry. I've been in church my whole life. I, I love lost people. Right. I love, I, I want people who don't know Jesus. I like, I, I love them and, and, and the more and more I thought about what he said, my defenses kind of dropped because it got down to the reality of like what happens when somebody's going to walk in and sit right beside us in a service, but they don't look like us, act like us. They don't know how to play the game that we play within church. Their language is different. Their life is different and their choices are different. And so as we dive into this passage in James, what I'm hoping is that you're going to experience that same abrasive you're going to start to look at the way you view people who are not like you and have to wrestle with a really big question. So let's dive into the book of James. We're going to begin in James chapter 2, and it says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and says, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit at my feet, have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, right out of the gate, when we look at this passage, right out of there, it says, show no partiality. And I have always read this passage like this. I read that phrase, show no partiality, and then in my mind goes, I don't but that's not reality. The reality is this, is we, from the very beginning, from our birth, from as soon as we come into this earth, we see people who are different than us, and we make what he says in this passage are distinctions. And I really want to dive into that word distinction, because you, when you look at that word in Greek, it translates a lot of different ways. Its meaning, when you look into dictionaries and find it, is this. It means to separate to sever, to prefer, to confer superiority, to scrutinize, to make mental distinction, and to decide a cause. You see, this isn't a positive phrase. 
This isn't talking about discernment where you need to make a spiritually wise decision and move forward. It's talk about, it, what it's talking about is you looking at another person and going just a little bit, you know what, I'm a little better than them. And so you're already not tracking with me, right? Because that's not how it sounds in our heads when we do this. We don't actually have this mental conversation. But the reality is, is this is what we think. This is how we act. It comes at us from birth. We are from birth looking at how we are different and better than everybody else around us. If you were to have a conversation with myself as a, when I was three or four years old, and I realized that boys and girls were different, I would have expressed to you the reason that boys are better than girls is because girls have cooties, right? We see difference and we recognize it and then we go, oh, this is why we're better. We look at it and we look at the world and we go, you know what? We've got it just a little bit more figured out than everybody else. I mean, we've been through this season the last couple of years and, and it's obvious that well, I'll speak for myself because I can't speak for you. If people understood the whole COVID situation the way I did, then everybody would be better off. If people had my opinion on mask or the vaccine, then they'd have it figured out and we'd all be better off. If people voted the way I did, if they had my experiences and understood these situations, and this is what we do. So right now, you have to quit fighting within your own mind and you have to accept the reality that you and I and everyone, we are all guilty of making distinction. We step into the room as believers and we have an instinct that tells us we're just a little bit better, a little bit smarter, a little bit more faithful than everyone else. Now, when this plays out into the life of us at Outreach, well, I'll tell you what, we'll get there in a minute. Because as we continue reading in James, you get to verse 5, and you get this counter image of what's happening. You get through 1 through 4, and it feels like there's this nice little parable about what's happening within the church, and the rich man, and the poor man, and show no partiality. And then in verse 5, it says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? You see, there's a direct parallel drawn by what's happening within the church and how God views the world and the reality of what's happening in the world. And so it gets really tough for us to recognize within ourselves and within our own church body and with how we behave as believers that we carry with us that slight little bit of chip and attitude that, hey, we just want to get a little bit ahead because we're a little smarter and we're a little further along. And James draws that parallel to go, no, that's not how God works. The first will be last. It's the poor who will inherit the kingdom. Like it's all this logic that God works completely differently from the world. And so we've got to recognize right out of the gate that we have a problem. That's step one, right? We mentally have trained ourselves. We're born in a manner where we want to see what's different and cause more division because we want to sit on the superiority chairs. 
we're a little bit better, we're a little bit smarter, we have a little bit more figured out. Maybe we have a little bit more education. If you worked in the field I worked, then you would understand why you need to dot, 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 dot. And it becomes very disruptive to the person and to the mission of the church. But let's continue on as we get there. James 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. See, I always read that passage, like, and, and, and maybe this is just me. I'll read that command, love your neighbor as yourself, and I always give myself just that little bitty check, right? We read it and we go, we'll find an example of how we've been nice to somebody, and we'll sit there and we'll go, nope, I've got that. But James points out, if we are showing partiality, if we're drawing distinction, then we're not being obedient to that law. And it's something we all struggle with. But I want to flip a little bit here because James is going to change the language after he draws this last comparison. And he's going to talk about, okay, so if I'm going to sit here and let's just say we've got to the point where you're with me and you're realizing, you know what, I've got a problem that I routinely am tempted to and routinely act on mentally drawing a distinction between me and other people. I put the wall up. I divide. Well, let's dig in a little bit deeper because we're going to finish out this passage and then come back and talk about it because James draws us to a point that gives us a very different understanding of how to battle the temptation of drawing distinction. In verse 10, he says this, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James brings this word into this conversation, and that's the word mercy. Now, if you look at the definition of mercy, it goes something like this. It basically means that you are giving forgiveness to someone who is in your power to discipline or to judge. Like that's that's the idea of mercy. It's this concept of understanding that you might have the power to do something about it, but you're not going to enact the discipline. Now let's back this up even further because before James gets to that, and we'll come back to mercy, before he gets there, he digs in on this concept that we don't like, that is a disruption for us drawing distinction. Because a lot of times the main place this sits when we're drawing distinction is when we're pointing out in our minds what someone else is doing wrong. Like that's how we get that little edge of superiority, right? That's how we show that we're better than, smarter than, more educated than, is we get to sit back in the seat of judgment and go, oh, this is what they're doing wrong. So go all the way back up to the beginning of this passage where it talks about the rich man and the poor man. The reason the rich man is rich is because he's made good decisions. The reason the poor man is poor is because he's made bad decisions, right? And you wouldn't do that, and I wouldn't do that. But that's a place of judgment. It's not reality. And so let's look at this in the application for us as a church, because here's the thing. When you draw distinction and you make 
judgments, it pushes people away. And if you take it to its fullest extent, it isolates. Therefore, if you encounter a church body of believers that make distinction and pass judgment, you're looking at a church that it's on its path to death and isolation. It pushes people away. Let's look at this in the terms of our personal lives now, right? And I'm not going to say, let's, let's don't go to the venture of we want to judge and draw distinction between us and people we don't know, like social media or people we pass in the grocery store and things of that nature. Let's make this really, really, really personal. For some of us out there, and we experience this, and we'll start with a married couple. How successful is it for you when you're married and you notice your spouse is doing something wrong? When you walk into the room and you tell them you're doing that wrong, does that get you where you want to go in the conversation? Do they immediately turn around and go, you know what, thank you. That is exactly what I needed to hear. I will start doing it your way right now. That is not how it works. When I do marital counseling, I will talk to couples about you need to be selective and careful because one of the most abrasive you will experience is your spouse walking in and pointing out your errors. Because if you're sitting back in the seat of judgment telling them what they were wrong, you know what you've done? You've put a relational wall between you and them on that topic. Let's think about it like this. For us as parents, sometimes our children will make decisions and life choices and go down paths that in our mind are things that we would not do, therefore it's wrong. Or maybe even it is a basic biblical sinful way of living and they go down that path. If you pursue them with judgment, all you're doing is pushing them further and further away. They don't need you to tell them over and over again that it's a sin. They don't need you over and over again to tell them what they have done wrong. Now let's wreck this whole equation and go to the what should we do? How should we view this? Plain and simply this, when James is talking about murder and adultery and how they're both sins and you're both guilty, He's talking about the fact that we are all on the same level. The only difference between a believer and a non-believer is that a believer has been found by the grace of Jesus Christ. And a non-believer has not yet been found by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's nothing that we did, but for some reason, we like to wear it like a badge of honor, like we figured it out. It's kind of like this. Well, let, let, let's, let's give a, a, a mental exercise example. Imagine that you and another person are standing on the dock and you both do not know how to swim. And you both at the same time make the decision that you're going to jump in the water and you both start drowning. Now immediately somebody walks up to the edge of the dock they jump in, they grab a float, they grab you, they pull you up on the dock. You're laying on the dock, gasping for air. And the other person, and he jumps back in to go save the other person, but the other person's not taking his hand. They're not grabbing onto the float. And so, because you have been saved by this person, you go, you know what, I need to help. So you stand at the edge of the dock and you yell at the other person, swim! Why would you yell at someone who's drowning, swim? You're not swimming. Just swim. Hey, your head's going underwater. You can't breathe then. 
None of that's helping the other person. All you're doing is pointing out what they're not doing or what they're doing wrong. When you look at them go, I've never met, hey, look with me. I'm on the dock. Why can't you be on the dock like me? You didn't get yourself there. You literally have been in the water drowning before, but now just because you're on the dock, you think you can just tell that person what to do and you can do it. But what's needed is you need to grab a float and jump in and help rescue them. Now that's not saying, and let me clarify, that is not saying you need to engage with sin to reach sinful people. That's not it. But what it is saying is you need to be willing to reach people and understand you're on the same level. Apart from Christ, we're doomed. So why do we as believers oftentimes draw that mental distinction that leads us to a place of judgment and isolation where we push people away? It's 100% disruptive to how we live our lives. So if we're bringing this all together this morning, here comes the challenge. Is number one, you've got to realize you have a problem with making distinctions. You do. Everyone does. Number two, you need to look at how that's lived out in your life. Look at your family. Look at your friends. Look at the people you work with. Look at the the strangers you bump into in the grocery store. Look at the way you communicate on social media. Are all you doing is throwing a, I've got it figured out, and you don't, and you need to figure it out, merit badge that you're throwing out there to everyone. And so, this is, this is pretty normal, right? We oftentimes can, at least in a service where, where God's moving this, we can get to a point where we start to recognize, hey, this is an action, but I want to push you even further. And here's going to be the big application for those of you listening online this week. I want you to find a way to apologize for the judgment. Reach out to that family member that all you've done is communicated to them what they've done wrong and tell them that, hey, you're sorry you've made mistakes before, and you just love them. Go to that coworker who you've had some ugly conversations with or that spouse where you go, and you know what, I just need to acknowledge that, that I'm just pointing out your mistakes and I've got to stop because I make a lot of mistakes too. Go to their level. Acknowledge and realize you're on their level. The only difference might be is that God has saved you. It's not something you figured out. God has reached down, sent his son, and saved you. Maybe you need to get on your social media account and you need to apologize for things you've posted and things you've said because you've passed judgment and you just need to shut it down. Because here's the thing, and I want you to understand this. God, in his mercy, sitting on the seat of judgment, did not just sit there, look down at us broken humans and say, well, they just need to figure it out. I gave them my law. Why haven't they done that? You know, I told Adam and Eve, don't eat of that tree. Oh, well, no. The moment that sin entered the world, the moment the mistake was made, The moment something came between God and humans, that the distinction was drawn, there was not a push away. There was a plan put into place. And so he didn't just stay on the judgment seat disconnected. 
He sent his son Jesus to this earth who lived and understands temptation the same way we do. He was tempted in every way the way we are, but is the only person to walk on this earth was without sin. So Jesus being fully man and fully God then willingly gave himself up so that it wasn't just a washing away unjust forgiveness. He justly paid for our sins and failures. Died on the cross, rose again to overcome death on the third day, and now sits on the throne of judgment justly, calling people to himself. That's how he called me, and he called you. He did all the work. I don't deserve it. I haven't figured it out more than anybody else. It is only by God's grace and mercy that I can stand here today and say, I know where I'm going to spend eternity, which is with Christ. So why do we as believers not recognize that for our entire lives, we're going to fight this instinct, this natural born temptation to judge draw distinction, and separate ourselves from other people, which is going to push people away, which is going to offend people, which is going to throw them way away from the presence of God, when in reality, we probably need to do more confessing of our own failures to them. We need to stand before them and just let them know we love you, and God loves you, and, and sin's not good, it's not, it's destructive, but God wants to rescue you from that. Because instead, we just judge. We let them know how sinful they are. If they'd figure it out, and it just doesn't work. I hope this message found you and was something that you needed this week. I hope that God stays with you and shows you opportunities to apologize in the places where you've drawn distinction, where you've passed judgment, where you have offended people by our own self-righteousness. I'm going to pray for you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. God, I pray that my words were what you desired. Guide us this week. Show us in the places and with the people that we've drawn a distinction, that we've made a judgment, and we need to go apologize and repent of that. Father. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for every way how you blessed us in your name. Amen. See you next week.